becoming you beyond deconstruction because deconstruction isn't the end goal living a vibrant soul aligned life is welcome back to becoming you beyond deconstruction today i'm doing something a little bit different I'm sharing an episode where I was a guest on a podcast. So I'm talking to Lurie Kimberly in her podcast, God, Sex and Sangria, and we're talking about quote unquote money mindset. Now it might sound a bit strange, like a strange topic to get into after the last episode, but to me it's all related and here's why. Firstly, religious trauma and conditioning doesn't just happen in the church. It doesn't just happen in the pews. It doesn't just happen within the people um, and church leadership. It starts from, and it happens in the home and in society to the extent that if you live in a Christian community and country without ever having been a practicing Christian, you are already being Christianized. In my mind, the way that we think and feel about money is a huge symptom of this Christianized, colonized mindset. For example, I heard someone say a little while back that you shouldn't pay for deconstruction support. And when I heard it, I rolled my eyes because I was like, obviously, you don't really understand that deconstruction isn't about simply leaving the church because you've had enough or you've experienced something toxic within the walls. Deconstruction, to me, is about allowing yourself to heal, to become hopefully more of who you are. The second reason is that money has actually been on my mind a lot since I had a huge awakening around um, money, I would say the middle of last year, which I'll talk a bit more about in the episode. But it's been on my mind a lot. And I know that as I say it, there's a little bit of tension, the tension of judgment that comes with that because, oh no, doesn't it mean that I'm being mercenary? And oh no, isn't that what people are going to think about me, even if I don't think about it, think about myself in in that light. And actually, isn't that a strong word to use? So that's the reason why I think it's important to talk about money and why money has been on my mind. Because the cost of those beliefs and other people's judgments and fear around money can hurt, not just me or another individual but as a society as a community as a community if the people who care feel fear around talking about money or making money because of judgment then where does that leave us so it's definitely something i want to talk more about maybe on a post or another podcast episode But as I said, it's something I talk about within today's episode anyway, but I can talk about this more and more and more and more and more. (sighs) And breathe. Okay, so you will find that today's episode is one of two natural halves. In the first half, I share a powerful aha around money that I just mentioned, the one that I became conscious of embodying last summer. So you'll notice that I am pretty passionate in in my expression and articulation of it. 
And in the second half, Luri talks about a beautiful understanding of what it means to be abundant. And actually, it's something I'm still mulling over now because it's a challenge to really change our relationship to money and take it to a different plane, a higher level. So without much further ado, let's go. Hello, and welcome to another Tuesday episode of God, Sex, and Sangria. This is Lori, and I am here with Florence Akasubu, who is an amazing coach and helping and supporting women in their spiritual journeys. I'm going to let her introduce herself a little bit more. But we connected over social media, as so many other people in our space can find each other. And I posted the other day about money, and she was like, I am so with you on this. Let's have a conversation. So we are going to be talking to you about our experiences with money and uncovering some of the ways that money has intersected with our experience as women and our exploration with what it means to be a good woman, what it means to be a woman who searches after God and our relationship with our finances. So Florence, can you introduce yourself a little bit more to our audience? Yeah, sure, Louis. My name is Florence and I'm based in the UK. I am a mom, a therapist, and I like to call myself the soul liberation guide. I've ummed and awed about what to call myself, but ultimately I think my main thing is about helping and empowering other women in particular in particular to discover who they are and be courageous and confident enough to create a life that feels fully aligned to their own truth. Mm. And, you know, just kind of break away from the conditioning, the socialization, the, the, all the things that contract us, contain us and make us believe that we have to be other than who we are. So that's why I call myself a soul liberation guide. And, um, I usually share from my own experiences. That's a big part of what I do. And I feel like, in a sense, I'm my own best client, my own best experiment, because I've done the work and I'm sure like you have as well. And so that's what I bring. That's the piece that I bring. It's funny, I don't know whether you know much about human design, but I only really kind of started digging into it this year and it just rings so true to what I've discovered about myself I am classified as one of the things I'm classified as is a fifth line which is basically the heretic line so you should find that really um, interesting basically just about breaking down those social norms and the status quo and just really challenging people to look at themselves and look at their lives and look at society in in a really truthful and aligned way and if that's what makes me a heretic then so be it but yeah that's me I adore that I do know human design and I want to I like as you were talking I was like do I have a heretic line I want a heretic line that's (laughs) (laughs) We need more people like that to be challenging the status quo and helping people come into the truth of their souls. And that's what I'm about. That's what you're about. Like, that's so holy. Thank you. So 
talk to me about money. What has been coming up for you and money and what is money? And how has your experience with money been going? Oh my gosh, there is so much. There is so much here. And it's so funny because you can hear people talk about money. I mean, in our space, you hear other coaches, business coaches, life coaches, especially business coaches, spiritual coaches, they talk about money a lot. And you can hear a lot of this talk about money and it's just words. And until like something kind of clicks for you and maybe you own it in your own special way, it's just words. So one of those words that people say, one of the things that people say is money is energy, Mm -hmm. right? And you're like, hmm, you sit with it on that kind of 2D. It's just words level and you want to understand it, but it's not really there. It's not really there at that level that you can understand. And um, I was just saying to you that, a lot of stuff has been going on for me at a subconscious level, but I was recently challenged by somebody around charging for an idea to create a safe and sacred women's circle, stroke, membership, community. And it's not to disrespect her at all, but when I received that communication for myself, it hit me because... I know how much work, energy, passion, time, commitment goes into creating safe spaces. And then to hear somebody say, you shouldn't be charging, or it's the people that you gather which bring the value to the community, that was like, ouch, that really hurt. And I sat with that for a few days And the more I sat with it, the angrier I became. And I I said to you, I created a whole video about it. But one of the things that came out for me, and it was funny you, you spoke about your sister being a teacher, because that's how I trained as a profession. I trained as a teacher. And it was like four or five years before I burnt out in the profession. And I gave so much of myself because, you know, I wanted to make a difference. I wanted to make an impact in the world. And I burnt out. And obviously when I burnt out, I had to leave teaching and they lost out and they continue to lose out when so many teachers leave the profession because they are burnt out. And so I realized that there's this discrepancy in energy and compensation to what the energy that you give out. Teachers, nurses, social workers, all those people that make up the helping professions, they give so much of themselves into that they're not just doing it for the money but the money is important and because their first thought isn't about the money that's taken advantage of and that's what we see that the people who aren't just doing it as a first thought for the money are taken advantage of because they have a passion they have a soul passion maybe even a calling for it and I think my burning out experience it really helped me to go actually no My energy, my time, my internal resource is of value. Mm. It deserves to be compensated. Mm -hmm. And so this whole idea of money as energy really hit me at that level of I'm exchanging my energy for money. 
and that money is going to enable me to do X, Y, and Z. And it's unfair of you to ask me to give of myself and not give me compensation that is harmonious to what I am giving of myself. So that's where I kind of like came to with that. Yeah, I think what you're saying is so powerful because very often we hear that, oh, you're doing it for the love of it. You're doing it because this is going to be, this is going to be helping kids. This is helping people. This is helping somebody or you want to, it's, it's a passion for you to be caring. It's just innately who you are. But a lot of the times the people that are in those service-based industries are often women and they're often taking on this work in situations where they want to be giving and they want to be loving until they get to a point where they cannot pay off their student loans. They start families and they are worrying about how they're going to pay rent and for food. Many of these women are having to get roommates and also having to continue their training and get high-level degrees and are still getting paid well below what they need in order to survive. And it, for me, it was very real as a teaching artist and I was working at a theater that I loved working at. It was it was a, a huge blessing to be working there in so many ways, but I got to the point where I was getting paid so little that everything I did was just to be able to pay rent and get food so that I could stay alive and go to work. Like at, at the end of the month I had nothing left and I could barely get by and I remember my car broke down and I could barely afford to pay for it. And my first thought is I need my car to work so that I have money to go so that I can go to work. I need money to fix my car to go to work. But my work isn't paying me enough money to have money to be able to even get to work. And it became this really shocking reality that I was stuck in. And to me, I would not be in that situation in many ways if the work that I was doing was valued, really, and under the mm. value of what I was doing was really there. And I think a lot of times people will say, we so appreciate you. We have appreciation days. We're given um, flowers and Dunkin' Donuts cards and all these things. And many of those are given by parents who I think really do very much appreciate the work that that I was doing and that other teachers are doing. But if the administrations, if the boards, if the institutions really valued this work, they would be paying so much more for that work to be able to be available. And for me, I think it also reflects how our society values things because the people who are making well enough to live and to thrive and to go on vacations and things like that are not people in service-based industries. They're people in high-income industries who we often demonize for being greedy, but yet for some reason also pay Mm. them so much more money, which I think is also a very interesting Mm. dichotomy. It's really interesting, definitely. I do really see that, this idea that society is really split into into two kind of areas, you know, kind of roles that generate money and roles that don't. So you're kind of like helping, you're teaching, you're healing. Those kind of infrastructure jobs 
that are necessary to build up and to maintain society. They're just not valued in the same way as those roles that generate money. And you're absolutely right. It's the women and the ethnic minorities that, for whatever reason, they end up in the roles that support the infrastructure and not in, in not in those other roles. And there's a lot that you can kind of begin to, to ask. You can you can begin to say, okay, so why is that? Is it because you know they they have a heart to do those roles? And there's definitely something about that there. But there's also a bit about, okay, were were they conditioned and socialized into going into those roles? What happens if they try to elevate themselves and move into those other positions? Are the doors open to them? Are those spaces reserved for a certain type of person? Is that why we look at those people as being greedy, maybe not nice, not good human beings? Does that make sense, what I'm saying? I think it does. And I think for me, as you're saying, I'm reflecting on my journey from going from being a employee to being a business owner, my struggles, my very deep struggles with my relationship with wanting more money and feeling like I mm. needed to prove myself more and more and feeling wrong for raising my prices after I got a master's degree and I raised my prices because now I was an educated woman who had a degree in what I was coaching instead of was just learning about it, I felt guilty immediately. Mm. And I was struggling so much with what type of person did that make me? And I'm reflecting on even what this woman said to you, because I've heard comments like that before about how it's wrong to charge for spiritual things. It's, it's wrong to be making an income in something that people need help with. And it's capitalizing, it's utilizing capitalism in a spiritual space. And while I do think that there's a huge issue with capitalism in our society. I also think back to the times well before when capitalism was not as strong. I'm thinking in ancient cultures where the spiritual teachers were provided for by the community. They were given safe spaces. They were given food. They were given shelter because the, what they provided to the community was so deeply valued they didn't ask for money. People gave it to them because they wanted them to survive. And we cared for everyone as a collective community. I wonder sometimes the people who say you shouldn't be charging for that, that should be something that the value is just inherent in the community. I wonder what they do for money. And I wonder if they feel like what they do and what they offer should also be free. Because I think in a capitalist society, we we don't question paying for food, clothing, and shelter, which are necessities, and we need to survive, and I think would would be much more interesting or having a conversation about why is the grocery store charging for food when everyone needs food? Why is Target charging for clothes when everyone needs clothing? Instead of why is somebody who is going to sit with you and help you excavate your spiritual layers within yourself and use their emotional energy and their intellectual energy and their training, why are we questioning paying them? 
And I don't want to make it just about spiritual coaching because I think that this goes into so many different spheres of the way women investigate business. I think for me, it's the way it's come forward for me as a coach. Yeah, no, definitely. In Nigeria, where I am from now, we still have um, elders, we still have spiritual leaders, and you do not go to them empty-handed. Either you go with something or you go willing to give them something that they tell you that they want in return. There is this just inbuilt idea of reciprocity. It's not that I'm just going to take and I'm not going to give you anything. Just the whole idea of taking from somebody and not giving back what you have taken from, that in itself, to me, doesn't sound spiritual. It doesn't sound fair. It doesn't sound ethical. And for somebody to then kind of like input that idea onto you, I think it's actually quite abusive because it's so devaluing. I feel it's really devaluing. It's devaluing you. It's devaluing your energy, your time, your resources, the experience and the love, the care that you are putting into your work. And it's kind of saying it's not worth anything. You just, you know, you're just here really to serve me and that's it. And I don't think it should matter what it is that we are giving. I think that there should be this harmonious energy exchange. And for me, I feel like that was like the, the boom, you know, explosion in my head moment that happened that actually, no, I've been struggling like you with this whole idea of charging. But when it came down to it, I saw the consequence of what happens when there is no balanced energetic exchange happening somebody feels as if they are being martyred or sacrificed in some way and that could be emotionally it could be physically it could even be um financially but somebody feels as if they've been plundered and that is so wrong that is so unfair and i i feel like in nature you've got the whole kind of ecosystem and it's very collaborative there is just this give and take without even realize that, realizing that it's happening because the ecosystem, it has to be maintained. And if we've seen what happens when we take, take and take, I mean, look at the, the forests and the rainforests. Look at what man has done. And I say man, and I'm really saying human beings, mm. but maybe men. <laughs> I don't know <laughs> what I'm saying here. But... <laughs> I mean, we can see what happens when you take, take, take and take and you do not care to give back. That is what happens at any kind of level with any organism, within any kind of ecosystem. There has to be reciprocity. There has to be an equal energetic exchange. It can't just be take and not giving anything back. That's that's sustainability, right? I mean, we talk about sustainability in the environment. If we're, if we're cutting down trees, how are we going to make sure that there are going to be more trees in the future? You have to give back. And for me, the same thing applies here. If you want somebody to be around in the future, if, if they don't want you to go back into the employment space and give your time and energy to a job, 
then they have to be willing to make sure that your work is sustainable. They have to be on board with that. It can't just be about serving their needs and that's it. There are so many thoughts that are coming to mind as you're talking about this. The first thing I'm thinking about Mm -hmm. is one thing you said already that I wanted to talk about was, you know, what is it? Is it conditioning? Is it that women join these institutions or these jobs because we've been conditioned in a certain way that men are not? And then we're, we're taught about greed. And the other thing I'm hearing as you're talking is about the way we do spirituality in Western culture and within patriarchal religion and how we understand that like church is free and spiritual guidance is free and we can tithe and you can donate money or bring something forward, but we're doing it for the community. We're not doing it for, we're not doing it for, it's not us paying a fee. And so we think very much, there's a lot of conversations, especially in conversations with people who have left spirituality or Christianity about the problems with tithing and how it's been so terrible. And I think two Mm -hmm. things, I'm going to answer my thoughts and then I want to hear what your thoughts about those two things are. And the first thing I think is that we have been conditioned as women are typically conditioned. And of course, this is this is typically and stereotypically, this is, might not be true for everyone listening or everyone in this conversation, but men are conditioned that they're going to grow up and get a job and that job is going to provide for their family. And the way that they're going to be the best loving, caring member of their family is by bringing home a paycheck that's going to care for their family. Women are conditioned that they're going to grow up and they're going to be loving, generous, and caring. And when they're loving, generous, and caring, that's going to make them the best member of their family as a maternal figure, as a good daughter-in-law, daughter, sibling, cousin. They, are, they need to be generous and giving. So men are taught that their generous, their, even their generosity and caring comes financially, and women are taught that their generosity and caring comes from giving of themselves. And so when it comes time for us to get a job, it's very easy for men, I think, to go after careers that are higher income careers or even to request income, even if they're in a ministry position or going into the medical field, they're going to go become a doctor or they're going to aim to be a pastor at a really lucrative church or they're going to... They're going to aim towards something that's going to make lots of money, whereas women are going to aim to be more caring. And I think sometimes what we end up doing is we, I guess, a little gaslighty to women where it's like, oh, you're doing this for the love of it. You're doing it because you care. And, you know, and then keeping them in a position where their labor is lower income, where you don't have to pay as much for a woman's labor. And so that's my first thought. And then the other thing, thinking about churches, I mean, I, maybe I kind of already said this, but I think this requires us to decolonize the structures of spirituality that exist in Western culture already and to understand that one of the ways we think of church is free is because the church took so much land and had so much wealth historically that there was so much less wealth to give over. And so coming to the church, so much of the poverty in areas was sometimes even because the church had taken so much land and because there was so much, Mm -hmm. there was a dependence on the church that the poor had. Whereas, and correct me if I'm wrong, but my understanding of indigenous spirituality in Nigeria is it's much more about you don't necessarily need the spiritual teacher to have your spiritual guidance but that you go to the spiritual teacher for more support or something in addition to what you're already experiencing in the privacy of your own life and your home and in your 
enclosed community? Well, I'm not sure about the last aspect because my own experience is quite limited. I'm born and raised in the UK, but I do know that you can be spiritual within your your household. So I think I've mentioned to you before, like in both my my dad's side and my mum's side, there are people who have spiritual gifts. But there's definitely that other kind of elder that you go to who, I don't know how to, to really say it, maybe they've got like an additional anointing or whatever it is, but you go to them for that special something. And they would usually be considered to be like, maybe like a witch doctor, a herbalist, something like that. And you go to them for, um, yeah, I guess like what you said. But that's my very limited understanding of it. But you're right. I don't think it's in the same way as Western spirituality or Christianity, where you are dependent on the church you are dependent on that community and it's kind of like front-led you're not autonomous in in that way so yeah (laughs) to come back around to what you said yeah that's interesting so yeah so if you're listening maybe we should uh have someone come on that's a little bit more of an expert on non-western religion but i think that that whole aspect of even having someone who you go to in addition to your own spiritual practice that you don't need the priest. You don't need the priestess to connect to the divine. So it's not so much pay me or you can't access God, which is so much what we have set up in Western religion. It's you already have God. I'm going to help guide you in a way that's going to give you the extra support you need. And that I think is one of the reasons we get so resistant to pay paying people in spiritual spaces because we were conditioned so much to believe that they're the ones that we need somehow to access God. Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. I mean, within Christianity, it all comes from outside of you, doesn't it? I mean, the whole the whole idea of only listening to what your pastor or priest says, only l- listening to their understanding of the word of God. And it's always, it's always white men, really. And and that's it. Mm. Now you've got more kind of black pastors coming in, but again, it's, it's men, it's male um, dominated and they are following the blueprint that's been passed down um, to them of ultimate control and say over how you, how you live your life. And I think just to kind of bring this back to money, one of the things that I have been reflecting on is like, why? Why is it like that? And for me, my conclusion is that it maintains the status quo. And this is like the heretic bit coming back again, because me understanding this as a woman and as a black woman is so life-changing for me. Me coming on board and agreeing to this capitalist conditioning, me saying to somebody, you should be doing this for free or devaluing their time or energy. I think that I'm gaining from it, but I'm not actually. I'm just maintaining 
the status quo. Because as you said, it's the women who give so much of themselves, but are not being paid. It's the ethnic minorities that give so much of themselves, but are not being paid. These are the people with a heart to make a difference in the world. But they can't. They can't because all their time, energy and resources is dedicated just to surviving, just to giving love to their family. And then the whole thing just rinses and repeats. It's when we go, actually, who is this really serving? And am I willing to keep on playing along with it? That's when we have the power to change things. And until we do that, we're just going to keep on being afraid of money. And and it's back to like what I said at the beginning, money is energy. And we've inputted all this kind of, we've humanized money, really. And through humanizing money, we've demonized it because we've given human, we've given money, these human traits and said money is evil and money is bad. And, you know, all these kind of things. And we've given it all kind of the negative traits we associate with people who have money. So we've We've humanized and then demonized it. And so it has all this kind of negative energy. So we all kind of stay away from it and go, oh, no, no, money is bad. Money is wicked. Money is evil. I don't want to have anything to do with it. But money is is energy. And at the very least, it's neutral energy. But I personally think that money is, I heard somebody say this and, and I sat with it a little bit and I was like, actually, yeah, I think this is true. They said money is a mother. Or money is a woman. <laughs> you know, money is feminine, basically. Mm. And if you think about it, what does, what does a nurturing mother do? They care for you. They provide for you. They give you stuff. They meet your needs. Yes. Money, without kind of the baggage that we put onto it, has the capacity to meet our needs, has the capacity to nurture us if we allow it to do its job. It's when we start kind of tainting it, demonizing it, we don't allow it to. And that's the issue with receiving. You do not get, you do not receive. I'm trying to quote scripture here, but it's been so much, so long since I've done it. But there's a scripture in my head, but um, I think it's something along the lines of basically you do not receive because of something, but yeah. I'm trying to remember it too, and I can't, I can't think of it, but I know which one you're talking about. So if somebody knows yeah. what verse we're trying to think of, DM, DM <laughs> us, and then we'll like put it in the comments or something on social media. Because I don't know, maybe yeah. this is a good thing. It's the, all the wisdom that we've learned over the course of our Christian life has now come into osmosis into us, and we've released the shit, and you're like, the wisdom is just settling into yeah. your bones. That's a good thing. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And and I do that every so often a scripture will drop and I'm like, okay, I'm seeing it in a in a very new way, you know, but it's like, no, money doesn't have to be evil. It doesn't have to be at all. And left in the hands of people who have been conditioned or not to care about other people. If you feel that money, you simply having money is going to make you into a bad person. What does that say about you? It really just says that you don't believe in yourself, really. That's all it says, that you believe that money has that much power over you that you feel that it's going to corrupt you. Then, okay, yeah, 
stay away from money. <laughs> but if you believe and know in yourself that you are going to do something even more because you now have capacity and resource to do so, then why, why, why allow other people's baggage around money to keep you to keep you small? It just doesn't make any sense if we're looking at it from the bigger picture of my role here, my job, my passion is to bring transformation, healing, empowerment. It doesn't make any sense. I think the thing that's coming to mind is a way that I often feel when I'm confronted with money is a feeling that I can't afford good things and looking at price tags mm. of programs that I've wanted to join or trips I want to go on or restaurants I want to eat at and not being able to afford it and being frustrated and even angry that some people can afford it. And that it feels like there's an inequality innate in the way we have money. And what I've realized as I've analyzed this is that feeling, and I'm not saying that there isn't such a thing as wealth discrepancy because I am, I have been in the thick of that in many ways in some situations still am. And I know that there's actual numbers on a line that show that like, no, I cannot afford to do that. But how in my own life, my own greed has played into that feeling of that the only good things in life are at this restaurant, in this program, on that vacation, on that trip, and not being able to settle into the goodness that is innate in life in general, in the world around me, and that concept of need and how capitalism ingrains in us that our worthiness and our goodness is limited if we're not at this income bracket. And how that plays so much into a negative relationship with money, that it becomes a cycle that you're taught that I'm hearing you talk about, where it's I I found myself going into a cycle of it's not fair that I don't have money. Those people who have money are greedy and selfish. It's not fair that I can't go to that restaurant. It, those people who are going to that restaurant are greedy and selfish. It's not fair that I can't go on that vacation. Those people who are going on that vacation are greedy and selfish. Instead of it is so beautiful that they get to enjoy that beach. It's so beautiful that I get to enjoy this front porch. It's so beautiful that they get to enjoy that restaurant. It's so wonderful that I get to enjoy meditating at the park. It's so beautiful that like there is richness and beauty to savor in this world and we all get to savor and enjoy it. And that like we are provided for by the Holy Mother, like you're saying, like we're provided for by the Holy Mother. And especially if you are listening to this in a first world country, like we are so provided for and there's so much privilege we have that me be struggling to going month to month and being frustrated that I couldn't live the life I wanted to live, that I felt like my labor and the amount of work I was putting in I was owed in many ways. I felt that way. At the same time, the real crime was that my work wasn't giving me time and space to savor and enjoy the beauty of the world around me. And I've said in another podcast is that I think it really comes down to like, can real liberation with money is that you have the space and capacity to enjoy the sunset and whatever the sunset mm -hmm. translates to. But if we're unable to savor the sunset, 
then we're still stuck in this mindset where money is harming us instead of liberating us. One of my most recent affirmations around money was money is a friend. And that was quite a difficult one for me, I think, to get to. Because I, I, I'm not a fan of kind of like simply making up an affirmation. Um, because what's the point if, you know, you don't really believe it? It's just words that you say, like money is energy. But money is a friend, which then kind of progressed to money is a mother to me. You know, what are, what are some ways, like what you're saying, what are some ways that we can be thankful, we can give praise for the things that we have in our lives, that we can really enjoy those things? And I think as a, as a mother, I began to realize that there are some things that money, you know, can't buy. There are just definitely some things that money can't buy um, in relation to experiences you have as a human being, experiences that you have with other human beings. But that doesn't mean that desiring to experience more and to provide for your family, your loved ones, is wrong. It is about the balance. Mm -hmm. It is about the balance because we do need, we do need money. We do need money because that's the currency that we're using. Before it was something else, you know, and nobody, <laughs> I can't imagine somebody saying, your chickens are evil, you know. <laughs> Don't pay with chickens, they're evil. I'm not going to give you any chickens because they're evil. You know, it's just, it's not the same. It's not the same thing. That does. Does that add to what you said? I think it does because I think... There is so much also beauty in being a mother and wanting your kids to be at schools that are good for them to be going to, to be having, not just having toys, like a random, random toys, but like mm. toys that are going to advance their education, having access to trips that is going to be so healthy for them in terms of their learning development. There's nothing wrong with wanting those things. And heck, like if you and I were sitting here having like a really gorgeous glass of wine, having this conversation, overlooking a beautiful scene, like there's nothing wrong with desiring something as epically beautiful as that. I think what, where, the, where the challenge of money comes from is when we start to see people who have access to those things or when we, ha when we one day will have that, that we will somehow have found a peace that we're looking for that we'll never have if we're not finding it here right now. Because the, I've had a blessing in my life to be able to have been around people who were deeply, deeply struggling at the p poverty line mm -hmm. and lower, and to be around people who are making tons and tons of money. I don't know if it was the 1%, but it's close. And I've been around both communities a lot throughout my life. And the number one thing that everyone through that economic line struggled with has always been finding peace in the now. And I think that when we're able to find peace in the now, this issue around like thinking that somebody shouldn't be paying for leading a woman's circle, charging for leading a woman's circle, that angst that comes from that type of comment or the angst that I've experienced in being like, well, I can't afford to do the things I like because I don't have the money. 
or the the angst that I felt around like, should I really be charging that much? Is that too much? Or whatever that angst is, it starts to settle away because it's knowing that there's like peace right here in the present now and that the money is really just existing in order to be able to keep the flow happening. And that's just happens to be the system we're in now. That is the system we're in. And mm-hmm. until we dismantle this system and live in the utopia that we are all fighting for, like we're going to have to continue to deal with these, these numbers, these, these pieces of paper, these numbers in our bank yeah. account. I think that's a really healthy way of, of looking at it. Not being a slave, right? Not being a slave to money. Yes. Um, and I use the, I use the word money in the sense of how people view money, you know, as a kind of like an, an, an evil spirit or God. Like if we look at the biblical view of mammon, not being a slave, not having two masters, but seeing it as a resource, a gift, even to, I love the way you said, you said it, to continue the flow, to continue the flow to, if our focus is on being in alignment and in peace in the moment that we have, then the way that we use and connect with money in that moment is very, very different to if we are in angst or fear, as you put it. The way that we see money is very, very different. So, yeah, that's definitely something to to sit with and reflect upon. The primary goal isn't around that striving, isn't around the kind of the lack or the deprivation. Um, I think you mentioned it before, is that there is abundance. There is abundance, and abundance doesn't necessarily equate to money. There is abundance of joy. There's abundance of life. There's abundance of happiness in the living day to day, no matter where we fall. And it kind of sounds, I kind of feel a bit strange saying that because I know that, as you said, that there are people struggling. There are people really, really, really struggling. And, you know, we're in an, we hear on the news, we're in an, an uncertain time at the moment with everything. So I don't want to kind of belittle it for anybody. But at the same time, we can be in a place where we allow that to be so front of mind that it blocks our inability to experience abundance in the fullest sense of the word. The lived present moment experiences we could have because our mind is so taken up with what we don't have. So yeah, there's definitely something there to reflect upon. Yes. And I certainly think that when I've talked about money in the past, I often will get this pushback of, well, what about the woman struggling to working 70 hours a week, trying to figure out how to pay rent, going month to month, having kids in school, like, what about that woman? And I'm not really interested in disparaging that woman's struggle, because that struggle is so real, and that exists, and that happens. 
But oftentimes the person that I'm interfacing with in those conversations is very rarely that woman. It's somebody who can Mm -hmm. take on this aspect of abundance for themselves. And I don't know how that abstract woman that, that is real in reality, but oftentimes we don't, we don't actually have a specific woman in mind when we're saying this. It's, it's the, it's an abstract understanding of a woman. How does she find abundance? I don't know. But I also know that I've also, because of this way that I've been able to experience poverty and wealth in my life, is I've also been able to see that there are people in the lowest income and in the highest income who also have this ability to think of think of life abundantly and beautifully. And, and I think that when we in this abstractly think about oppressed people, how they struggle financially and think, well, how can you tell them to think abundantly when some of the poorest people might be way better at thinking abundantly than a lot mm-hmm. of us? Like I think then maybe we need to step back and really think about what our values really are when we think about happiness and success and abundance. And I really believe, like I posted on Instagram, if we all thought with this mindset of abundance, if we all thought about money with open hands, then like suffering would cease, struggling would end. If we all thought, oh, I have enough, let me give more, there would be no starvation. There would be no war. There would be no taking. There'd be no stealing. There'd be no destruction of the rainforest. There would be no there'd be none of that because we would all feel that we had enough. And yeah, I think it, it it's it's capitalism. And I think we've internalized that capitalism in our own fear of lack within ourselves. And I think the journey of dismantling capitalism so often is going to happen when we dismantle our own feelings of lack within ourselves. And we're going to be able to step yeah. into a mindset of abundance. I definitely agree. I remember one Christmas going around Oxford Street in London. I had bought wholesale hats, gloves and socks, thermal socks. And I went around and I distributed them to homeless people. And I got a chance to talk to to many of them who felt like they were in a much better place than being in the system. They were no longer in the system. And yet from a physical perspective, it was hard for them. You know, they didn't have shelter. They had to go somewhere if they wanted to have like a, um, a warm bed, something to eat. You know, they had to beg or request for money. But they also had a peace, a freedom. And can I be honest, there are times when I felt to myself, oh my gosh, it would be so easier if I wasn't in the system, if I could just be, if I could just go where the wind takes oh me, my you know, if I could just I get it. take whatever job, yeah, you know, just just get in a, like, a caravan with my husband and my little girl and, you know, just travel. That, for me, would epitomise abundance and liberation. You know, at the moment, we're looking at, you know, potentially moving overseas anyway. And I feel like what the capitalist society does is that it ties you into a system so that you do not believe 
that there could be anything else. And that's the fear and that's the lack, that there is nothing else. Things will fall apart if X, Y, and Z. But that's just so not true. Yes, there is suffering because, you know, if, if, if I think about Africa or, or Asia, there's disease, there's malnutrition, there's all of that stuff which comes from the inequality and the inequity in relation to um, money and financial wealth. But you can be sure, as you said, within those villages, there are children still laughing, there are mothers still laughing, there are dads still smiling. Yeah, I know because when I go back home, we, you know, we, we get washed in like a river waterfall, we wash our clothes there, you know, light, electricity isn't always available. But people are happy, they are smiling, they have each other. I'm not saying it, you know, I don't want to belittle anybody's experience. It's only to kind of just say what you said that it's not about what we think it is. There is so much more. It's not about like, the concrete village that we reside in and the fact that we have to pay our water bills or our electricity bills or, you know, anything else. That's just the system that we have kind of said that we want to live within. But there is more outside of that. And, yeah, <laughs> that's what I think well, I Well, I mean, I'm feeling you because, I mean, two years ago I sold everything I owned and – flew to Barbados Mm. and everything I own fits in a suitcase Mm. and don't have little ones. So I don't know what it would be like to travel with little ones. Although I do know there are people that do have kids that are nomading and traveling around the world with their kids. And I find that I have so much peace. Now I'm not unhoused. I, everywhere I go, I have a place to stay. I, you know, like I, I rent somewhere and I have an income and there's all sorts of ways that I'm not how you were describing, like the people you were helping on Christmas. But I also mm-hmm. have found so much more peace in not owning a car, not having to make car payments and just, you know, renting a car when I need one. I found so much more peace in, you know, not having anything in storage, not having like knowing that as I look around this room, everything in this room is all I own and Mm. not having furniture, not having knickknacks and gadgets. Like I went to Target when I was back at home and I was with a friend of mine and she was buying some stuff for her house. And she was like, is there anything you need? And I was like, no, I literally don't need any of this. I don't need throw pillows. I don't need curtains. I don't need candles. I don't need anything. Because I've just given, I don't have a home, so I don't have a place to put any of it. And the insane freedom that I experienced by disconnecting from that. And a lot of people think that if they were to live the life that I live, they'd have to have more money. And I'm just like, I want to let everyone know that like my monthly expenses are $2,000 a month. Like that's my monthly expenses. Now I'm living in Bali, which makes everything a lot cheaper in other countries, it was maybe more like twenty-five to three hundred, three thousand, but so much ridiculously less than it ever was living in America, and and freer because I said no to mm. 
Mm-hmm. You have to have a house. You have to be in this neighborhood. You need a car. You need this type of sexy job in order to be respected in society. You need all these things that will give you some type of – there was just some type of narrative of who I needed to be that when I released it and I said I'm happy with just a suitcase and the beach, life became so much more peaceful. And I'm learning more and more throughout this year about how much I leaned into capitalism in order to be happy. And obviously, I'm still in the system. I'm still using my United Mm. credit card and using my miles and like doing all the things. But just the way I've disconnected slightly has led me into such a deeper state of peace. And I think that's it. I think you've kind of hit the nail on the head, really. I mean... There are degrees. Some people may choose to kind of opt out totally out of the system and they find peace with that. But there are degrees in between, you know, and it is about, I feel like this abundance that you speak about is about finding what brings you peace and joy. I mean, if we just think about it from like the physiological perspective, if you're not in peace and joy, you're in stress and you're in threat, and you're in alert mode. And that's never good for the body. It's not good for the immune system. It's not good for the digestive system. It's not good for, you know, the cardiovascular system. It's just not good at any level. You know, one of the funny statistics that I heard when I was teaching was that teachers have the highest post-retirement death rate basically they retire and they just seem to drop dead oh my goodness and it's it's not funny but it is funny because it's like okay so we spend all our time running on adrenaline and cortisol and caffeine you know and then eventually when we had that time to ourselves we weren't able to enjoy it because we didn't have all the chemicals coursing through our body to keep us upright anymore and it's like it doesn't have to be that way doesn't have to be that way at all we can we can dare to choose and we can dare to believe in different in, that it can be different and I think that's the bit do we dare to believe and that's the leap of faith you know we talk about spirituality and faith and everything but that is faith that is faith mm. you have a kind of vision as something this call in your soul which feels you know like that's where you want to be pulling you and whether you believe in it believe in yourself enough to go okay I'm gonna try I might land on my feet I might land on my bottom (laughs) but you know I'm gonna try yeah and you're as you're saying that I'm thinking about the things that I've done that are not appropriate financially that are frowned upon in our society Mm -hmm. to do financially and did it and leaped and I'm not here to tell you that I ended up becoming a millionaire because that's not what happened. But I know that when I look back at my life, if I hadn't done those things, my life would not be as rich as it is today. And it is, it's not so much about being, it's not so much about finding peace with money so that you can be a millionaire. It's about finding peace with money so that you can have an abundant life, which becomes so Mm. much richer. And Mm. 
Mm. freeing. I think you've just said it right there. That's just absolutely it. You know, just finding that finding that peace with money so that you can have an abundant life on your terms. If we don't have that peace with money, if we allow the conditioning and the socialization that we've received around money to lead the way, then we're not going to be able to have that abundant life, whatever that looks like for us. Thank you. Well, I'm looking at our bullet points and it seems like we covered everything we've, we've aimed at covering. Thank you for listening to Becoming You Beyond Deconstruction. I really hope that you've enjoyed today's episode. You can connect with me on my Substack newsletter unfolding to follow my journey and to find out if you're interested how we can work together. Go to my website, becomingbeyondeconstruction.com. And if you're interested in supporting the work, then please feel free to buy me a coffee at buymeacoffee.com forward slash living from soul. My name is Florence Okusogu and I'll see you on the next episode of Becoming You Beyond Deconstruction. Thank you.